Oh, and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and today we are doing a all-NBA podcast, little mega pod action. Haven't been able to pod in a little bit. Had a bunch of scheduling uh, conflicts trying to get some guests on for you guys, but uh, different things came up. You know, life happens, and I just had to keep uh, pushing back, hoping to reschedule that. We're definitely going to talk football and the NFL draft with both Taylor and, if you guys remember from last year, uh, Coach Jeff McDaniels, uh, who was a great guest last year when he was able to come on and talk draft with Kelly and I, and maybe we'll be able to have Coach Sass on and talk a little draft because there's tons of Ohio State guys and Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, the great cornerback, and my Giants are picking fourth, so they might have a chance at one of those guys. But today, it's going to be all NBA. And I'm kind of calling today, or, or, or this segment, really. I don't really know how long this one's going for. Maybe, you know, don't don't want to have it go, you know, forever. But this segment, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling, like, Ryan Russillo calls it Tales from from the couch. Well, as I'm in college, we don't have cable. I'm going to say tales from, uh, tales from the laptop, tales from the stream. And it's just kind of just my thoughts from watching a lot of NBA basketball and following the NBA since really the, just the last time I really talked basketball and just kind of with coach Sass actually, and kind of things that are, that have been going on and just my general thoughts. And I've broken it up. We're going to talk about three teams, three players, and then my thoughts on uh, the All-Star game a couple weeks ago. So the first team I want to talk about is the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are the best team in the NBA this season. They are, with their win tonight over the Toronto Raptors on the road, which was a tremendous win for them, they are now 50-8 and eight with a 12-point point differential, which is by far the best in the entire league. Uh, they are on an insane streak this year, Just and their level play is so high. They have a legitimate chance, and they're on pace to potentially win 70 games, which I think would happen only for the second for the for this third time or fourth time it obviously be the second time in the last few seasons as the 2015 2016 warriors broke the chicago bulls old record of 72 wins in a season that warriors team went 73 and 9 setting the new nba record Yet that team was famously upset by the Cleveland Cavaliers in their epic 3-1 comeback in the finals, which kind of makes that whole season, you forget that they went 73-9. And And it reminds me of kind of just what the Bulls' mantra was, like the 72-10 doesn't mean a thing unless you win the ring. And the Warriors didn't win the ring. And with our championship or bust, championship or nothing culture now, if the Bucks go 70 and 12, let's say, or go 72 and 10, let's say that they tie the Bulls. They go 72 and 10. 
and they lose in the finals to the Lakers. I don't know how much it it matters that they went seven, that that they won the seventy games. It matters to me, and it matters, I think, to a lot of other basketball fans to really appreciate just the level of difficulty in what they're doing night in, night out, playing at such a high, high level over such a long season with so much travel and with the 82-game season. And, you know, they're not playing scrubs. They're playing other really good NBA teams and lose to Miami the second game of the season in overtime. They lose to Boston, so the Milwaukee started 2-2. Two and two. So since October 30th, the Bucks have lost six games. They lost one to Utah on the road by three in early November. And so from November 3rd until today's February 25th, they've lost five basketball games. That is just absurd. And the one weird one is they lose to San Antonio on the road by 22, but that was a back-to-back where they played San Antonio at home, then traveled to San Antonio two nights later and played them. And they don't lose it by a lot. But that's also, you know, the team got figured out. And it just, they are really, really good. And coming up on their schedule, they got Oklahoma City this Friday. Oklahoma City is very good. They play Miami again on Monday. In March 2nd, they got the Lakers on the road. They got Denver on the road, Boston, Miami again. Two big games against, two more big games against Toronto. They play Houston. They play Philly. There's tons of definite wins when you want to talk about, okay, they play like Washington and Detroit again, but they play some very good teams again. So, so it is unknown if they will get to 70 anyway, but. I I think it should matter. I think it should matter that they get to 70 wins. It's it's like it should matter that the Ravens went 14 and 2 this past season. Even though they lost to the Titans in the divisional round, the fact that they were 14 and 2 should mean something. And there's been plenty of NFL teams that have gone 14 and 2, so I guess that the, so that's probably a bad example. But I don't think that the regular season should just be thrown out and that it doesn't mean anything. I think it's one thing to value postseason performance and in the equation of evaluating teams and players, value that stuff more But in the weighted equation. But it's, it's not like the regular season is completely meaningless. It's not something we can just completely throw away, especially when teams and players are doing and going for these historic accomplishments. That's kind of where I feel like the line is drawn where the history stuff matters because there's a chance, you know, you, 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 you never know that they run off 23 in a row and tie the, Miami or break Miami's record for wins in a row and win 27 or 28 games in a row going to the playoffs and they break the Warriors record. You know, you, you, there is a chance that they could go 74 and eight and set the all time single season record. 
But if they don't win the championship, is that going to be forgotten the way the Warriors thing was forgotten? I don't know. But I think it should matter, and I think the Warriors thing should matter too. Next team, I mentioned it. What if the Bucks lose to the Lakers? I want to talk about the Lakers because the Lakers are the best team in the Western Conference currently. They're playing the they are playing the Pelicans tonight. Zion is in the Staples Center tonight, and I was watching the first half of that game. And what came clear to me was not so much in this game tonight, but from especially watching their game against the Celtics this past Sunday is that they have completely figured out the Anthony Davis-LeBron James connection in that when when it matters the most in moments where they say, we, we need a bucket, the crunch time of the game, closing time, the LeBron James-Anthony Davis pick and roll is as close to unstoppable as it gets. It's... On the on the unstoppability scale, it's up there with the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant pick and roll, because there is no way to guard it. Because if you go and trap LeBron, he's such a good passer that he'll find Davis, and then it's oh my god, Anthony Davis coming down at you with a four on three advantage. If you help off the perimeter on the rolling Davis or the driving James, LeBron's such a good passer, he'll hit the right guy for an open perimeter shot. If you just guard Davis, then it's LeBron coming downhill at you, which he's a freight train, and we've seen over his whole career that that's going to end with two points or a foul, and he's going to the free throw line. It is it is completely unstoppable, unguardable. It... You could go under the screen and force LeBron to shoot those those three-pointers, which is how teams have tried to guard LeBron throughout his entire career, which is to make him a jump shooter. And I still think that that's probably the best way to guard him, which is funny because he's gotten so much better at shooting faraway shots that it's he's really... A, evolved as the game has modernized as well and it's no longer an abject weakness of his but it's just of what would you rather prefer him do would you rather him come at you downhill and let him get in the paint and make decisions or do you want him taking a far away shot and I still think every team in the league would want to take a far have him take a far away shot so I think that the way teams will begin to guard it is Maybe not switch, but just have the guy guarding LeBron just fly under as fast as he can and just try to get back in front with, a, I guess, a little bit of help. But really, I don't know how else you could guard it because if you switch it, then Davis is on a smaller guy and that feels like two points. And Or if you switch it and you put a big on LeBron, then LeBron's going to back it out and drive by him and get the, that's a mismatch that he wants too. So it's definitely a, a very interesting challenge uh, for NBA coaches to try to figure out how to guard, how to guard that pick and roll. Because as we saw on Sunday, when they beat the Celtics, it's, it's almost virtually unstoppable. 
The other thing I want to mention about the Lakers, as I've been watching them uh, these last few weeks, is their f- idea of the final five on the court. And I think that this this fits in with the Kyle Kuzma issue that they have, which is that fundamentally the way that the media, or not, not really the media, the, that fans think of and evaluate Kyle Kuzma is not how teams around the league value him. He is not the summer league superstar we saw two years ago with Lonzo Ball or now three years ago with with Lonzo Ball. He is a average rotation player coming off the bench for you who is a streaky scorer. He's big. He's 6'9", but He's not a great defensive player. He he leaves a lot to be desired in that he has the fans think of him as a superstar, as a stud. He's an Instagram sensation, but he shoots all the time, and he it's not that he's not great at it, but it feels like he hasn't bought into what his new role is, which is that he is not one of the top players on the team and and that he needs to really really change the way that he's playing. And he's shooting 32% from three right now. That's not, it's just fundamentally not good enough. It's just not good enough. And for them to win the championship, Teams are going to live with Kyle Kuzma shooting faraway shots, and he needs to be up at 36, 37% for him to really have a real impact on this team. And if he can get into the 40s, he'll have a great long career in, in the NBA. But if he's going to hover in the low 30s from three, he's not going to play in the final five in crunch time. And the way that Alex Caruso has been playing for them, I might even put Alex Caruso on the court in their final five because you're obviously going to have LeBron and Davis. You're going to have Danny Green out there for the shooting and the spacing. I think they could do offense-defense with Contavious uh, Colwell Pope and, and Avery Bradley, kind of whoever's playing better and hitting shots because they can both kind of guard on the perimeter. And I... And I'll put Caruso out there instead of Rondo because I think Caruso is less likely to do something stupid than Rondo is. And I also think that Alex Caruso has weirdly has this insane level of chemistry with LeBron that, I, I don't know, he, it, it, it just feels like the chemistry of all those guys out there is really good. And with Rondo, he doesn't space the court the way that Crusoe can, shooting 35% from three in only 18 minutes. And he probably isn't as good on defense as Rondo, but I just feel like he can space the court. He'll play good team defense. He won't make a stupid bonehead play the way that I just feel like Rondo will. And... I would think about putting Alex Caruso out there with Danny Green, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, or Avery Bradley. 
which is crazy to think that, you know, Alex Caruso from Texas A&M, undrafted guy, you know, that that he's out going to be out there in crunch time in the playoffs against the Clippers or even in the finals. But, you know, that's where that's where we're at with the with with the Lakers. The final team, the the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have an issue. The Brooklyn Nets issue is Kyrie. It's Kyrie Irving. They signed Kevin Durant this offseason, one of the best 15 players maybe of all time, easily one of the five best players in the world currently. And basically to get Kevin Durant, they also had to sign DeAndre Jordan, and they also had to sign Kyrie Irving. And it doesn't, you shouldn't have to feel like they had to sign Kyrie, that they wanted to sign Kyrie. But Kyrie has not worked out for them. He's had, he's just decided, or it's not been, he, that he's decided, it has been decided that shoulder surgery is the only way to uh, fix his shoulder injury and he's going to miss the rest of the season. This is now a lot of injuries for Kyrie and a lot of surgeries uh, during his career. He obviously broke his knee that first Cleveland uh, year with LeBron. And I think he probably had surgery for that. He had surgery with the Celtics on, I believe, on his knee again. uh, That was the year that Tatum was a rookie and they almost beat LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals, took him to seven. And then this year, he is having shoulder surgery. That's three major surgeries right off the top of my head. I don't know what other things he's had, scopes and and all that stuff, where is Kyrie going to be a guy who you can count on over the long haul of 82 games and another 20 to 30 playoff games? Because if he's not the, that guy, then it's really just KD and, you know, Karis LeVert or Spencer Dinwiddie or... Jared Allen, the the other guys on on the Nets. No, the the appeal was the Kyrie Katie duo, the tandem. And if it's not that Kyrie performance wise on the court, he's played really well individually. It hasn't led to any team success, and you can make a lot of arguments, as I have in the past, that Kyrie's not a great teammate, and that he doesn't lead to a lot of team success and trust and my opinions on that haven't changed it's just not the argument I'm making currently the argument I'm making currently is just fundamentally can this team actually work if you never know if Kyrie can play the entire season with his injury history and with Durant coming off a torn Achilles he's also had foot surgery before can can you really rely on this team to work when you the Duran is the huge unknown because it's the Achilles. He's older now. He's about 30, 31. That injury is very, very difficult to come back from and play at the same level. And if Kyrie fundamentally, they say in the NFL all the time that uh, 
availability is key or whatever the, the cute slogan is that the best ability is availability that if Kyrie's never available to play, then he's not that valuable. Then you're putting the team at a huge disadvantage because you could have all these great players, but if they never actually play for you because they're always hurt. Then it's almost like they're not on your team. So I, I got a lot of hesitation towards the Nets and what they can really do because of the injury concerns of their two best guys and the two guys who they put their entire franchise hopes on. So I want to talk about three players now. I think you could probably guess the first one. The first one's guy was the number one pick in his most recent draft, the most hyped player since LeBron, Zion Williamson. He's been back from his knee injury. He's played in a bunch of games now. I think it's fair to talk about him. He's lived up to the hypes so far. And you don't want to say that he's lived up to the hype totally yet because it's only been about a month. It has been a month where it's been good. There's been a lot of good. There's been some bad, but fundamentally he's lived up to the hype so far, which is that he doesn't abjectly stink. He, and it's not, and that's not fair to him because he's, the expectation was so high of him coming in that even if he was averaging, let's say 14 points a game, people would be like, oh, he wasn't worthy of the pick. Is he a bust? He's not adjusting. Is he hurt? Is he in shape? All this stuff. But because he's playing so well, and don't get me wrong, he's got a long way to go, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but it's really just how many elite athletes have been able to live up to the hype immediately. You think of like LeBron James coming right into the league and dominating, Kevin Durant, Tiger Woods, where the hype there's a lot of hype, and then immediately they were able to live up to it. And then we'll see what Zion can do because LeBron and Tiger and Serena Williams, for instance, lived up to the hype throughout the entire length of their career. And they had a lot of longevity that obviously Zion just hasn't had the life experience for yet because he just hasn't played as long as they have because it's still his rookie season. But if he can keep up and keep living up to the hype like they did then Zion will go down as one of the most special athletes we have ever seen. And just from watching him play, everyone's talked about his quickness, his second jump, and his strength, and all that stuff is absolutely incredible. But to me, especially watching him tonight against the Lakers, he still looks just a little heavy, which makes sense. You know, he's 19. He was out for a while. He just And he doesn't seem that fast getting up and down the court. But he's coming off the injury, and because he's dominating every other area of the game, it's it's not as glaring because he's as because he's scoring a lot, he's rebounding, he's having all these highlight plays. It's just, and it's not like he can't keep up with the pace of play or go by these guys. But it's just like you know, just the in the in transition, just a normal transition where it's not truly offense to defense, where it's just like, hey, we made a shot, we're just coming back. It, he's never like the first one down. It seems like he, you know, it's not that he's lumbering down there, but he's, 
it seems like there's room to, for potential growth in, in that area. And I think fundamentally, it's just that he needs a chance to grow into his body and his new frame. He's put on a lot of muscle. He's been out for a while. He's working out a lot. He just needs an off-season or two to just become accustomed to the man body he's in because he's 19 years old. His body was still growing probably as much as like a year and a half ago. And he's putting on weight and strength and muscle and all this stuff because this is the time of his life when all that stuff is going to grow with great ease. Just the, the kid just needs a chance to realize, holy crap, I'm this much stronger than I was a year ago. This is what I can do. This is what I cannot do. And just get used to being a, a professional athlete. And it's all going to be fine because when you watch him play, he jumps off the screen and there's something about him that you just absolutely cannot take your eyes off of. The next guy I want to talk about is Jason Tatum. This dude, this dude has been absolutely fantastic this season. He was a first-time All-Star. He has 28 tonight against the Blazers early in the fourth quarter. He has really, really stepped up his game. He was awesome as a rookie, and he made Danny Ainge seem like a genius with the trade that the, that the Boston Celtics made with the Philadelphia 76ers by trading, I think it was one. The Celtics traded the first pick and for the Sixers third and like the following year, Lakers that turn into the Kings pick. It was like a whole bunch of things. But basically they they traded Markel Fultz for Jason Tatum and another pick. And Tatum as a rookie started all 80 games. He averaged 14 points, shot over 40% from three, but most, most memorably went toe-to-toe with LeBron James in the conference finals, dunked on him, really proved that he belonged at that stage. And that he was here and that maybe he was he was the next guy coming out of, of that draft. And it wasn't Fultz and it wasn't Lonzo and it wasn't Laurie Markkinen and that it was him. And then Kyrie comes back and last year's Boston Celtics team was just an abject disaster from the word go. And while his numbers were a little bit better across the board, he increased his scoring, his rebounds, his assists. His three-point percentage went down to 37%. His field percentage dropped a couple percent. He was played a little more. He started every game still, but it was just like that team was such a disaster, clearly from just a chemistry perspective, and a lot of that was tied to Kyrie and and Gordon Hayward coming back and getting more playing time and more shots and everyone just figuring out how to play together. It was the classic one-ball conundrum with a with Kyrie Irving, who is a very difficult player to play with, I'm sure, from a chemistry teammate perspective. And that season, I blame more on that's just a terrible situation. And But it was still, okay, You, the biggest risk for a lot of young players is just that the situation they go to isn't great. Not so much that they don't have what it takes, but so much of success in the NBA is, is, is situation-based. You wondered, okay, what's going to happen to Jason Tatum now? And boy, oh boy, has he come out this year. 
He's averaging 23 points a game, seven rebounds, almost three assists, shooting 39% from three, 45% from the field, up to 18 field goals a game. He's taken on uh, the mantle and the weight of this is my team. This is I'm, I'm going to carry us to the promised land or going to do everything I can. And he's been absolutely fantastic, and he's been absolutely fantastic as of late post-All-Star. He's in, in February, he's averaging 30 points a game. He's shooting 47% from three, put 41 on the Lakers this past Sunday, put another 39 on the Clippers. It really dazzled that team and he's really come on and he's making me if I was a fan of an Eastern Conference team specifically the Bucks or the 76ers or the Raptors I would not want to face the Boston Celtics everyone's talking about Miami as the team not to as the team you don't want to face I don't want to face the Celtics because I don't want Jason Tatum I don't want to face Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker especially Jason Tatum, because Jason Tatum already went toe-to-toe with LeBron when LeBron was, I don't want to say he was at his absolute peak, but LeBron was playing at an unbelievably high level, and Jason Tatum almost won that series. And not that he was single-handed, but he was the best player on the Celtics during that series, and he almost won it. And could, could he outplay Giannis four out of seven games? I think it's possible. Could he outplay Pascal Siakam four out of seven games? I think it's very possible. Jimmy Butler, I think it's extremely possible. That the Celtics, I think, are going to be the team that makes the Eastern Conference Finals to play Milwaukee. And personally, I don't know why people are talking about the 76ers to make the as a finals team. I think realistically in the East, it's a three-team race between the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors, and the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Celtics are inching, inching up closer to the Raptors of being the team that I would put second behind the Bucks of Eastern Conference teams because of Jason Tatum. The last player I want to mention is one of my favorites in the entire league, Nikola Jokic. Nuggets star, he has really taken it up a notch. After a slow start to the season, the Nuggets are now 40 and 18, second in the West. Jokic is up to averaging 21 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. Uh, He's playing 33 minutes a game. He made the All-Star team this year. He's been absolutely fantastic. And he... I don't want to say he's similar to Zion because there is nothing about Nikola Jokic's game that you could say is similar to Zion's because while Zion is all explosion and above-the-rim type wow plays, Nikola Jokic is the opposite of that. But that's what makes him so, I want to say, entertaining to watch because when you, because at least when I watch Nikola Jokic, He's one of a kind. He's extremely unique and that the movements he makes, it just doesn't make a lot of sense in that. How does someone who plays so close to the ground score so many points, get so many rebounds, 
And he's just, I personally love watching him because he's a tremendous, tremendous passer. And I wish he would be a little more aggressive sometimes shooting the ball and still feel like he overpasses. But he's just one of my favorite players to watch. And I find him myself watching a lot of Nuggets games and re-watching a lot of clips of him because it's like he got the ball here and somehow the ball ended up either in or he's taken three dribbles and thrown a beautiful pass to someone for a wide open shot. And it's, and it's just really interesting because you're watching him and you're just like, how is this all working? How does this make sense? And But the results are fantastic. And it's just one of those players where you just tip your hat to him and just he's, he's just a tremendous, tremendous player. I'm really looking forward to watching him in the playoffs because I think he's a unique matchup and an intriguing challenge for a lot of teams. And I think the Nuggets are really good and really deep. And... I don't know. I, I I wish and want Nikola Jokic to win an NBA championship someday because I just also think that the tour he would do afterwards of taking the trophy back to Serbia and just the idea of him as a champion and the celebrating and the partying would just, the stories would be incredible. And lastly, as we're hitting about the, just over the 30-minute the mark, and I want to wrap this up kind of soon, is... My just general thoughts on the All-Star game. And the first things first was that I thought that the new format was fantastic. With the Elam ending, uh, honoring Kobe Bryant by not having a traditional fourth quarter. But after the end of the third quarter, whatever team was winning, they added 24 points to that s- score as to be the target score. So it would be the first team to this new target score would win. So for the team that was winning going into the fourth quarter, they would have to score 24 points and the other team would have to would have to get to that target. So so it's like, you know, it's first to this number. And I thought that that got the guys to play really hard. Almost to the point where it was not like a street ball type game, but it was like a pickup game. In that the level of physicality grew so much, especially as we got closer and closer to game point, that the refs had to step in and they made a ton of calls, some more controversial than others, calling two, letting Kyle Lowry draw two charges that I thought were absolutely charges and great calls and great plays because he's an NBA champion and that's what champions do. But I thought the game got a little bogged down by it. But then also it's, you know, the players stop hacking each other and committing super, super obvious fouls because it's game point. That's what led to Anthony Davis shooting free throws on game point was it had nothing to do with the rule not being great. or It was because the guys were hacking the crap out of each other and the refs had to step in because what do you want to happen? Do you want them to play really hard? in this one All-Star game, or do you want someone to get hurt because they're playing so hard and these fouls are going and they're not being called, and then Anthony Davis misses two and a half months and might miss the playoffs, or does miss the playoffs. The next thing I just want to say quickly is Giannis is not good at drafting teams. He is a tremendous player. I I get the idea behind the team he's drafting, which is first and foremost, he 
takes guys he feels he has a personal connection to. So he's from Africa. He took Pascal Siakam. He took Joel Embiid. He wants the guys with the he feels like he has the personal connection to. He likes taking first time All Stars. So I think that means to him that they're going to play really hard. And he obviously takes Chris Middleton because that's his teammate. But at the same time, you're taking Middleton six. Middleton is not the sixth player you want to draft. There's tons of other players who it's all about the idea of value. And I'm getting way too into this now because he basically took his teammate because he has to. But the biggest thing about Giannis was, is there real conflict between him and Harden? Because during the draft, which is televised, he basically said that he was between, when there's three players on the board, James Harden, Kemba Walker, and Trey Young, he said, I'm deciding between Trey Young and Kemba Walker, and Charles Barkley was like, you don't want James Harden, and he said that he wants someone who's going to pass the ball. And I don't think Harden liked that very much. And then after the game, Giannis said that their strategy in the in the fourth quarter when it was, you know, especially as they were approaching game point, was just to give the ball to whoever James Harden was guarding and let them go at him. And that was the matchup that, that they wanted. Well, to say that publicly is one thing because it's very rare nowadays to have these NBA players say these things about each other, especially the superstars, because we all kind of assume now that they're all friends. And it's very interesting because Giannis has gone about the approach of, I don't want to be friends with the guys who I'm directly competing with. I'm fine having friendly relationships and being nice to them and stuff, but like he doesn't want to be so close that he's going on vacation or working out with them and all this stuff while he's trying to beat them and win championships and MVPs against them. And I just found it really interesting and I personally loved it because it creates more drama and things to talk about but is there actual conflict between him and Harden these guys are battling for the MVP the last three seasons they're going to battle again this year it feels like Giannis is going to win because as I mentioned at the top the Bucks might win 70 games this year and he's obviously the best player and he's taking a leap with his perimeter jump shot particularly is is there something that we don't know that's going on? Was it Harden saying that Giannis won the MVP last year because of a media narrative? Or is it just Giannis is just from Greece and this is how he saw athletes talking to the media when he was growing up and, hey, someone asked him a question and he answered honestly and maybe it just wasn't the best answer and it was just a slip up and, you know, he regrets it. Who knows? But I know that I like it better when guys in the NBA are saying how they actually feel about other players. It was, I think Clay Thompson did this a few years ago about with LeBron, with Draymond got suspended and he was like, oh, I guess, I guess LeBron got his feelings hurt or something. And it just adds a lot of drama. It, it, it adds a lot of more intrigue to the, to the league, especially during a relatively down period. Cause it's now it's the, it's, it's the dog days. It's tons of games and, just trying to get to the playoffs. The last thing I want to mention is that Chris Paul was out there. Basically, he was LeBron's, he was in LeBron's team's top five point guard. 
and he 100% looks like he belongs there with the top, top players in the world. The guy still has it. I personally would have loved to see Luca and what he would have done playing when the game really matters against these top, top players in the league and in the world. But to see Chris Paul was, okay, this guy still got it. And OKC is not just a good team, but they're super dangerous in the playoffs. And I'll talk about them more next time because I think that they have a lot of really interesting players and interesting pieces. But Chris Paul is still here, people. Don't count him out and don't count the Thunder. So we got the NFL scouting combine coming up. We're going to talk about the draft next week or next time, I should. I should say, and that's going to be a lot of fun, and maybe we'll be even get more into the college basketball, which I definitely will do. Not sure if we'll have a guest for that, but I'll definitely be talking about it. So until then, take care and make it a great day.